So this morning, uh, we're going to go old school into the Old Testament. If you've been reading along in the one-year Bible, uh, I think two weeks ago you were here in 2 Kings. We're going to be in 2 Kings 18, but I'm actually going to talk a little bit before and a little bit after and uh, what you're coming up to, and I think in a couple more weeks, a week or two, you'll be in 2 Chronicles, uh, which will actually say the story again today. So we're going to talk about this uh, term that if you've been reading the one-year Bible, you heard it, I think, 117 times in First and Second Kings, which is high places. You're like, oh, high places. That sounds fun, right? High places. Um, so in the, the big thing that I want to get to today, and this is where we're going, why everything that we preach about in the Old Testament is always pointing us to the hope that we find in Jesus and, and what we're called to do uh, as his children. So the, the one thing today is, are you ignoring, and this will make sense in just a minute, are you ignoring your high places? So, and I'll explain what high places are here in just a second. So before there was a land or a kingdom, God laid out some instructions for people. So before where we're at now with kings, before any there was even a thought of kings or really a kingdom, when it was just a people moving to a place that God had called them to do, God told them to do certain things. And here's kind of the clue over and over again. When God asks you to do something, the best thing that you can do is do it. Um, not doing it usually causes us trouble. So here's some things that he told them before they even entered into the promised land, which would be their land. In Numbers 33 chapter, I mean, chapter 33 verse 52, it says, "Then, this is what he's telling them to do. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figures or sorry, figured stones and destroy all their metal images." And this is talking about idols, their worship, their gods that they had set up, and demolish all of their high places. So God, before they even enter the land, saying, hey, I need you to do this, and he tells them why they need to do that, what's going to happen if you don't do that. And so in two, two verses later, in Numbers thirty-three fifty-five, it says, but if you do not drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs. In your eyes, that sounds really pleasant. There's, you know, you go to a, your flower bush, your rose bush at home, and just like, you know, stick in your eye. That's what he's saying. Be like barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. So God told them, like, hey, before you even go in, this is what I'm asking you to do. And if you don't do it, this is the consequence of not doing it. So here's our tension. Why does it matter? Ignoring our high places can lead to our destruction, our loss of kingdom gain, which is God's kingdom, and pain for those around you. So we're talking, we're going to talk about a king here in just a minute uh, and what he did to drive out um, and remove the high places. So it started even before that. So we have David, uh, the beloved king who, who who was right in the eyes of the Lord, and you know he's a man after God's own heart, even though he did things that he shouldn't. David wasn't perfect, so David turns his kingdom over to Solomon. And I'm going to tell you, wisdom doesn't make you not stupid, because 
Solomon had a conversation with God and God said, hey, what do you want? He said, give me wisdom to lead your people. And God made Solomon wiser than any king before, past, present, or future, but not wise enough, not smart enough, not to do the thing. So he knew what God had called them to do prior to. David couldn't build the temple, so the man who builds the temple, Solomon, also was disobedient to what God asked him to do. So God said to Solomon, don't marry foreign wives because they'll turn your heart away from God. And so what did he do? He wanted to, in his stupidity, he wanted to increase his influence. And so he married all of these foreign wives. You know, this is not a plus for polygamy, okay? Um, This is a detractor. So he married all of these foreign wives, and he did exactly what he had told God had told his people prior to. He did it. So in um, 1 Kings 11, 7 through 8, then King Solomon built high places. So he did what God had told them not to do because of his wives. He set these places in for um, uh, Moloch. I may be pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, but this is literally his, the, the guy we're going to talk about today, his son, sacrificed to the gods, his firstborn child, because there was this belief that they would do things for you if you obeyed them. So here is Solomon setting up these foreign gods in his city, the same guy who built the temple, where God had proclaimed this, place and only this place is where worship will be and so he set up these foreign high places places on hills that you could a little southern there i know i am from north carolina comes out every now and again and so there would literally be this place where you could go and worship these deities these other gods and so here's after solomon there are 39, so the kingdom gets divided here in a little bit. It's not one whole kingdom anymore. It's Judah and Israel. And so the kingdom gets divided. And so after Solomon, there's 39 rulers that follow him. And out of those 39, only eight turned the kingdom away from this wickedness. Only eight of the 39. And what what usually, if you read through Second Kings or even Chronicles later, when it talked about them, it would say this phrase. They were known by this phrase, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Eight of 39. Of those eight, only two removed the high places. Only two. So the other ones, they maybe cleared the temple, because they literally... The God that they saw do all these things, they literally brought these foreign idols and Asherah poles and they set it up in the temple. I mean, in the temple. So most of the good of the eight, of the eight of the 39, would cleanse the temple, but they would ignore these high places. So today we're going to look at the first one. So there, there was two kings who removed, not only purified the temple, but they removed the high places. One is Hezekiah. And the other one we're not going to talk about is his great-grandson, Josiah, which is a great story. He literally took over the kingdom, I think, at like 12. And, I mean, pretty amazing. But um, we're going to talk about Hezekiah. So we've had horrible king after horrible king that, like, one would do fairly good, maybe, of the eight, 
they would clean up things and then another king would come and they would make it wicked again. I mean, really just ruin the city. So we're picking up 2 Kings chapter 18 uh, and then we're only going to do verses 1 through 8. So here we go. In the third year of Hosea, King El, um, King of Israel. So this is the second kingdom. So there's Judah and Israel. Hezekiah, the son of Azad, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old. So this is a young man who's now king. And we typically think, oh, like, here's a young man. Like, how's he going to be this man of God? So he was 25 years old when he began to reign. And his reign was 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Ab, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did, and this is the phrase, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. Do you realize, out of these 39 kings, most of the mercy that the kingdom saw was because of David. And you'll see, even though they're wicked, it'll say, even in their wickedness, because of the promise to David, God would protect and somewhat hold this kingdom together. So he's saying he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, even though it's not his biological father, it's in his lineage. And in verse 4, here's what he did. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke to pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. And um, I don't know if you remember, I think it's in Exodus, uh, there was a season where God just sent snakes because the people weren't listening, and the snakes were biting and killing people. I'm not making this up. So they erected this bronze serpent that if you got bit by a snake, you could run outside and look at the bronze serpent and you would be healed. And so um, people were literally worshiping this thing that God had done for their benefit as, you know, something that had power. So he broke to pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there were none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor those who were before him. So out of all the kings, he did more good for the kingdom than any others. In verse six, it says, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments of the Lord that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, which we're going to talk about just in a second, and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territories from the watchtowers to the fortified city. And so here's, here's the picture. And we're going to get to why does this matter? Because I think a lot of times when we read the Old Testament, we're like, what is... You know, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me right now? We're going to get there. And so God's faithfulness to this man who had given, was given charge over part of God's people, the kingdom of Judah, he literally, and if you go into Second Chronicles, like they literally went through the temple. They pulverized all of these idols, and, and they, I mean, they desecrated. They literally took all the idols out of there. They pulverized them down. They spread the ashes over graves. It was super disrespectful. Basically, to all these other, for those that have worshipped, your gods are nothing. 
I mean, and he cleansed the temple. They spent eight days with all of the other Levitical priests. He, he, he grabbed the ones that were like, hey, we, we still get it. They cleansed the temple for eight days. He was the first one that brought back uh, the Passover. So they bring the Passover back. They bring worship back to where God had said, this is where you worship. And this is how you worship. And so they were getting rid of all of these things that people were going to and worshiping, even the things on the high places. And what's crazy, so we mentioned the other king of Israel. So Syria was the powerhouse of this day, literally demolishing kingdom after kingdom. They went to Israel, besieged it for three years, took it, took the city, and they removed all the people of Israel to Syria. See you later. And it even said, there's a little line, because they were disobedient. And let me, let me just throw this out here, because you're not kings or queens. I mean, you kind of are. We could talk about that, but for the most part, you're not like this. But our sin affects more people than just us. I think a lot of times we go, oh, it's just my issue. No, 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 no. Your issue, your sin will affect. And we see it perfectly through the king. If you have a king who's walking with God, there's a blessing that comes to the people. If you have a king that's not walking according to the Lord, there's a pain or punishment or suffering that comes to those who are under them. And so the king of Assyria sends his force... To Judah, and they encamp around the city. And it's the crazy. I mean, I think this is in like chapter nine. So we just read eighteen. I think in nineteen and twenty talks about this whole thing, and it's crazy. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people. Because a little bit later, there's a hundred and eighty-five thousand people that the Lord strikes dead of this army. So they're encamped around the city. And their, you know, their, their spokesman for the king of Syria comes and he starts speaking um, to the, um, the king and the people, saying, don't let, the, don't let your king Hezekiah lie to you. Your God will not and cannot protect you. We've gone from city to city and we have demolished God after God. See, every other kingdom, just like you, said that their God would protect them. Don't let. Could you imagine being besieged by hundreds of thousands of troops just sitting out there? And I'm sure at this point you've already heard that Israel has fallen. And the spokesman is sitting out there going, don't let your king lie to you because your God will fall just like every other God that has fallen. He lists all these other kingdoms, all these other gods that have fallen. And so Hezekiah, you know, has a conversation with God. God basically said, "Uh uh-uh. There's going to be a rumor of a war. They're going to leave. Things are going to happen. They will never shoot an arrow on your city. They will never cross into your walls. This is what's going to happen. And what God said is exactly what happened. He struck down 185,000 of them. What's crazy, if you start reading the history of this, you know, of course... The Assyrians, they have documentation, but most historical data. So if I'm a king in this time period, if I'm paying people to write history, how do you think history is going to be written? It's not be like, hey, we took a bad defeat. In the history, there is written that he did ask Hezekiah to basically 
pay um, like a support. Like, hey, we're, we're uh, gosh, I can't remember the word. You have to pay us a certain amount of money, which he did, which they recorded that. They record the change, the dollar figure of what you see written in the Bible versus what's written in their records. But the point is, there's no record. And so you have, if you read the historical data of this, there's no history of what happened other than they didn't enter the city and they didn't take the city. And the king who declared himself above other gods was murdered by his son during this process. So the king of Assyria gone. And you see Hezekiah faithfully surrendering himself to the Lord. Because they even tell him, don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust in this foreign power to rescue you because they're a broken weed and you're going to read and you're going to get injured on this. This is what is happening. And here's a king who's of this small kingdom compared to Assyria. He doesn't, they even tell him in part of the story, he's like, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put men on them. Like he's mocking them. But the, the, his worst part is he mocked God. And so you see this other, you, you see this journey out, and Hezekiah a little bit later, he gets sick. Sick um, to the point that he's going to die. And he basically prays to the Lord saying, hey, I want to serve and lead. And God gives him 15 more years that he served. For 29 years, he faithfully served the king. If you read the other kings of the eight, there's at some point where they're faltering back and forth. Like they, they were good for a period and then not. And you have Hezekiah who faithfully trusted in God. So much so that he would not ignore And I'm sure the other kings that were doing the six of the eight that did right in the eyes of the Lord thought, yeah, the high places, they're not that big a deal. Or maybe they didn't want to disrupt people, but Hezekiah removed those. And out of that removal, God did something to their kingdom that has not been done previous or after him. What's crazy is his son and grandson were horrible. So much so that they hid the word of God that Josiah later on finds the scroll, tears his clothes because he's finally challenged by the word. So here, let me, let me give you what I, I believe. And this is something all week, This actually for the last two weeks, this word high places. Just, I couldn't get it out of my head. I was reading it. And so what, what I think God wants to do this morning Let me bring this to Jesus for just a second. So Jesus is a good God worthy of living and serving. See, this is what Hezekiah believed, that God was worth sacrificing everything. You know, I'm sure it wasn't popular what he did to begin with to remove these things that the people relied in and trusted in, but he knew that God fulfilled his promises. He said, or... Jesus gives life, hope, and joy. So he didn't allow this king, this king didn't allow himself to elect the popular opinion, but he trusted in God completely. And so honestly, the high places that we allow in our life are areas in our life that we're not trusting God. They're areas in our life that we're allowing. And so what I want to do this morning 
is I want us to logically think through what are your high places. I've been thinking through my own life. What are these things in my life? What are these things that may seem like they're no big deal that are really eroding my life? So we've got to be like Hezekiah. He sought out every obstacle that stands between you and God. And when you find them, just like Hezekiah and Josiah, smash them to pieces, chop them down, grind them to dust, obliterate every trace of all opposition to God, every speck of resistance. We cannot allow these things because ultimately, whether you've witnessed it or not, our high places will destroy us. They will rob us of the joy and peace that God wants us to have. So so what are your high places. One reason why we allow high places is that we normally think they're not that big a deal. Like, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. Like, for the most part, once we say yes to Jesus, we eliminate a lot of those things like we're, we're not murdering people anymore. Hopefully no one's murdering people now. That was a joke. Thank you for laughing because some people are thinking, man, was this, what kind of church was this? That he, was, he thought murdering people was normal. But we think they're no big deal. Maybe it's what we watch or what we listen to or, 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 or people we hang out with or, or things that we do. Or it's like, yeah, just a little cheating on our taxes is no big deal or a little you know, this or that. And it's, it's this thing. And so let me, let me, let me give you a story. Um, I didn't do this to my children. So, like, when you hear the story, and it is hilarious, um, it's not something I've actually done. Somebody else might have done this. I'm stealing it. So there was a, a family, and uh, they were kind of struggling uh, with the teen years, and that the struggle of, like, oh, you know, that wanting to do things that, that might be a little um, destructive to them. So uh, a son, not my son, Noah didn't do this, so don't look at him during this point. He really didn't do this. I'm not saying that because... Uh, so a son comes up to a father and wants to watch this movie. And the movie's radar and thinking, you know, the son, everybody's talking about it. And I want to see this movie. And the dad's like, oh, like it's no. And, and the son makes this statement. He's like, Dad, like there's not that much in it. Really, it's not that bad. It is, it's, it's, just, it's just a little bit. And so the dad's like, well, let me think about it. And so the, the kids um, go upstairs and are doing whatever. And the dad starts to make some brownies. And so he makes a fresh, <laughs> it's not going to go well, let me just tell you. So he makes a fresh pan of brownies. I'm talking about piping hot, coming out of, I mean, the brownies that fill the house with joy. I mean, you smell them. You ever been into a house that's got fresh baked cookies or brownies? I mean, especially if you don't have allergies to gluten, like, you're, like you can feel it right now. <laughs> Maybe gluten-free brownies or cookies. But, you know, the, the kids come downstairs because they smell the chocolate goodness. And he's like, oh, come in and sit at the table. And so he brings the brownies out, and they're hot. And they're, they're, they're cooked enough that you can scoop them out. They're not, like, raw in the center like our family loves to eat them. Um, they're cooked, and he sets them on the table, and everybody, ha- all the kids have a plate, and he, he, he cuts the brown- big pieces of brown. I mean, not like skimpy and not just corners. I'm talking about, like, big pieces of brownie he puts them on the plate and he tells them like don't eat yet don't eat yet yet." and they're excited they've got their forks in their hand they're ready to tell tear up these and he's already got the milk ready for them to just like partake 
He said, before you eat the brownies, I just need to tell you a little something about the brownies. I put a little poop in the brownies, just a little bit. I mean, minutes, I mean, just a little bit, and I mixed it in the batter, it, batter you know, but it, it's no big deal because it's just a little bit. I, and, I, and that's funny, you know, poop brownies. I told it so much in our, our youth group at one point that it was like, uh, poop brownies. Uh, but we think about it because we think in our life, you know, it's no big deal because we're surrounded by a culture that's doing worse things than we are. So our goodness and, and how good we're doing is based on what other people are doing. And when they're doing all this other stuff, that, that this doesn't seem so bad. And the danger with that and the danger of the high places is they seem like it's no big deal. But no one, of course, in the story, none of the kids ate the brownies. Like, if you're into eating poop brownies, like, that's for you. I can't judge you on that. But that's the thought. It's not that big a deal because it's not that bad. Honestly, I believe, and I've got three more things that I want us to walk through. I believe that there's people in this room that literally there's something in their life right now, before this morning, that you've been struggling with, like, I'm just not sure. And I feel like this morning that God wants to tell you, like, that insecurity that you've had on this one thing, whatever that one thing is, that God's telling you, hey, if you, you want to move forward with me, if you, if you want to, to see me work to my fullness in your life, there's things in your life that you're going to have to remove. So it is a big deal. Those places, those high places were destroying a people. You cannot lead a people into a place of knowing who God is while allowing these other places that you could go and worship. And so here, here's another thing that usually keeps us from removing the high places. One is that we think, oh, it's another big deal. Uh, another reason why we ignore our high places or, or, or leave them is because we submit to the failure that we've already had. So we, we know that this one thing is like maybe it's, you know, I, I, I honestly, I'm trying not to give because I, I don't want to, like, it could be drinking, it could be porn, it could be, you know, anger, it could be whatever. There, there, there are so many. The list, if I could not give you a thorough enough list to talk about every single person's high place in this room. And we've got them. Let me say, like, there's... I mean, I, I don't like saying never, but there's most likely not anyone in this room doesn't have something in their life that God's going, hey, me and you would be better if this wasn't here. And if you're married, that is not your spouse, okay? Just saying. Not saying that. I think sometimes I did a marriage series and it was like, yeah, <laughs> she's my problem. She's not. She's not. You're your problem. So one of those things is this, I have failed over and over and over again. And, and why, why try to remove this high place that I've not succeeded in removing previous? Maybe it's something that you've tried over and over again. And because of your past failure, you just submit to like, it's just going to be there. And let me just tell you, don't believe the lie. Because there was 30 kings before Hezekiah. And so he could go, 30 kings, they never removed the high places. Actually, Solomon, who is the wisest of wise, he put some there. So, so, so they failed to remove them. Even though God said to remove them, 
I'm not going to succeed. He, he didn't take that into account, and neither can we. We cannot look at that thing that's ruining our life piece by piece. Uh, Proverbs 24, 16, it says, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. See, your measure of beating your head against the wall, like if you've just fallen on your face, I mean like in failure, the thing that changes us from others is that we continue to get back up. Because we get back up not thinking tomorrow I'll be stronger. Tomorrow I will have the power to fight through this. You'll think God is stronger God is good. And the reason why I'm getting up is not because of my power or my ability. It's I'm trusting in him. I mean, can you imagine Hezekiah was surrounded by this army and he didn't go, oh, look, let's think of a tactic. You know, or be like Saul, who, you know, when the prophet was late, he went to uh, a fortune teller to get his, you know, what should I do? Okay, here's another one. So, Realizing it is a big deal. Realizing that failure isn't fatal. We can continue to fight and we will win if we continue. The third one is ask for help. I think a lot of times we go like, man, I just cannot. And maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe you don't want to talk about it. Whatever. There's an, an old African saying that says, if you want to travel fast, go along. If you want to travel far, go with others. This is not a sprint. Anyone that tells you, like, this is a sprint, and, like, we've got to, you know, this is, this is the long, the, the Jesus is the long game. Because it's, it's a long game of allowing him to shape and mold you, and you have to invite people into that. If you want to travel fast, go along. If you want to travel far, and we want to travel far, go together. Invite someone into that. And, and what I'm going to challenge you to is if you are during this, have kind of pinpointed or you knew coming into this, here's, here's a high place that I've been thinking about and I, I need to remove it. Finally, God has put words to things that I've been thinking and I need to move in this direction. Your level of success is going to increase drastically by involving someone else in that. Because if you leave here, I had a conversation with my wife uh, yesterday about some things in my own life that I'm like, hey, you know, I've been watching a little bit too much TV. It's summertime. Ah, Netflix is, you know, putting out shows. you got to watch them. And, you know, one of the things for me is I, I just feel like, man, I, it, that season's done for me right now. And it's wasting time, and I just need to, you know, kind of recoup some of my wasted time. And so I had a conversation with Jody because I knew if I thought that, and I didn't tell anybody, for real, I don't know about your wife, but my wife will remind me. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this conversation we had the other day, Heath, but you said you weren't, and why are you? So, and the reason why I had that conversation prior today, because I could go, man, and I felt like, I mean, the Holy Spirit literally over the last two weeks was like, man, I, you just, you just, I've been zoning out. Like, vacation. You know, we don't, we don't take vacation from God. And in, in part of that distraction was things that I'm watching. So I had a conversation with Jody going, hey, this is what I feel like 
God's asking me to do. And so I invited her into, because if I didn't say anything, I'd come today and be like, this is what I'm going to do. And tomorrow when something drops, a new episode, a new season, a new whatever, you know, Stranger Things, whatever. If I, if, I, if I hadn't made that commitment, if I hadn't invited somebody else into it, I would be so much more likely to be like, yeah, I'll start next week. The best laid plans fail when you don't invite people into them. And the last thing today, uh, and this is critical, because um, we've all, and I think sometimes when we talk about sin, and this is sin, I have places. There, there's things in your life that, uh, are, are sin. They may not feel like the sin that you were freed from the day you said yes to Jesus, but they're, they're sin and they're sucking life from you. And so all these other things are, you know, this power of like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got we to get rid of it. We've got to do this thing. We've got to, you know, stop. And I don't know, there's a, a YouTube video, it's hilarious. Uh, Bob Hart, anybody remember? I'm kind of dating myself. I don't, you know, I watch reruns of Bob Hart, but it's a Bob Hart, and he's a, a counselor, and a lady comes in to the counselor. Anybody watch this video? It's short. It's old. Uh, and the counselor comes. I mean, she sit down, and he's like, "Okay, um, it's it's. I think it's five dollars for five minutes. Everything after that is free." And she's like, "Really?" He's like, "Yes, I have a high success rate. Only takes me five minutes." She's like, getting really excited. And she said, what's your problem? He said, the counselor. And she's like, oh, um, I have a fear of being buried alive. And he's like, stop. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? No, no, no. I have this fear of being buried alive. Stop. And the lady keeps trying to tell him. And he just keeps yelling more and stop. And it's, it's hilarious. So it, it keeps going, and, and finally she's like, no, no, you just don't understand. Like, I'm sitting in bed, or I'm thinking, or my, my blanket's on me, and I just have this fear. And he says, stop, or I'll bury you alive. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I'm leaving. Um, and I think sometimes that, that becomes our, you know, our counseling help to others is just stop doing it. And if that worked, we would have stopped already. And so we can have all this reality that we need to stop this. But here's, I think, the most of all this, realizing it is a big deal, realizing failure is not fatal. We can continue to uh, wage war against that thing, asking for help. The last one is remove and replace. So if you're going to remove, which is all the others, you have to replace it with something. So if I tell you to don't think about the number five, like don't think about it, what number are you thinking about right now? Number five, if I tell you, just like you, saying, stop thinking about, if you're going on a diet, stop thinking about donuts. Oh, you're thinking about donuts. Oh, donut in. Hmm, I got an excuse to go across town. I'm going to get a sour cream, which they are really good. Uh, but if, if you tell someone to stop doing something, what do you do? You fo- you're focusing on the thing that's robbing you of life. And so if we're going to replace it, we have to do something that's going to fill that gap. So though it seems counterintuitive, sin is not defeated by focusing on getting rid of it. Rather, focusing on replacing it with something that is pleasing to God. Look at, listen to this, James 4, 7. It says, submit yourself to God. See, sometimes we forget. 
And we just go, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We, we just say, resist the devil and he'll flee for you, flee from you. And we forget the first part, which is the first part. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. I'm submitting, I'm surrendering to you. I'm, I'm putting something else in so that I can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The submitting comes first. You have to put something else in. Psalms 34, 14, turn away from evil and do good. There is a replacement. So I'm telling you, like, hey, if, if, if you decide, like, man, I'm watching too much TV too. Maybe I've just said that and you're like, I wish Netflix recorded, like, the hours that you, you watch it. So we think it's not, that, it's not that much. Like, I don't watch, I only watch an hour of TV a week. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't order things from Amazon every other day. Um, Amazon tracks it, though. I can look back at my history, and I know what I've ordered there. Uh, but, you know, if, if I just say, hey, well, man, I, I do need to stop watching this much TV. <laughs> if you don't figure out something to do with that time that you were watching TV, what are you going to do? You're going to sit around going, man, you're going to get on social media, and everybody else is going to be talking about that show and the things that you're missing. And what are you going to do? I'll just watch one episode. It's just one replace so what i recommend if god's pointing out some things invite someone into that what i think your greatest chance of success honestly if you find a high place is going hey i I need some help with this because i cannot get over this and and so i I need you and i guarantee you that other person probably has something else that we can keep each other accountable for but if you're going to clean up some area you got to invite God into it. See, Hezekiah was not wise like Solomon was, in a sense that he had this wisdom that people were coming from a, you know, far off to get his wisdom, but Hezekiah trusted in God, period. And so if you're going to move in this place of going, hey, I might invite our worship team up. The high places that we allow in our life are sucking you dry. They're distracting you from a good that you could be doing that would be benefiting you and others. And eventually, that not a big deal will evade other pieces and places of your life. You know, that, the, that thing, a mosquito doesn't just want a little bit of you. He wants all of you. And he leaves his mark. I hope that's not a mosquito. I just saw that. Is that? It is. Okay. Kill it. Um, And so what are you going to do? You're going to identify. So if you know, hey, I feel like there's these things in my life, spend the next two, three minutes of this last song and just go, God, I'm identifying these things that are are sucking life from me. You know, I'm, I'm spending all of this time... Um, effort and energy into something that's not giving me life other than I can replace that with something that will give me life. And just like Hezekiah, there's a benefit that will come to everyone else underneath you. Your husband or wife, your faithfulness will benefit your children. They'll see you and it'll benefit them. Like they see you, real life. I'm not talking about like culturally Christian. I'm talking about when they see you trust. Like the people around Hezekiah, can you imagine the day after 185,000 people 
an illness, a plague, whatever happened to them, we don't know. And could you imagine the other ones looking around? There's 185,000 less today. And could you imagine the army going like, I'm out of this. Like, could you imagine the people inside the walls that were thinking, we're going to be just like Israel, but now we are safe because we trusted in the Lord. There is a benefit of our devotion to a God who is good always. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, honestly, without you, high places will remain in every one of our lives. But by and through your power that you give us in and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, we have the capacity to not only remove those places, but we have the capacity to change our life in and through you. And so this morning, for those who are feeling overwhelmed by something in their life, or things in their life that they just feel like, oh, there's no way, Lord, I pray in faith that we would trust you. Lord, we may feel like Hezekiah is surrounded by an encamped army going, we will lose this battle. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith that Hezekiah had to trust in you. And honestly, Lord, this could be the moment where we acknowledge that we've not trusted in you for anything. That we've used you for our heaven. That we've used you for this social acceptance, but we've never surrendered to you. Lord, we cannot remove high places. We cannot cleanse our temple without you. And so, Lord, this morning... Uh, if there's anyone in this room, someone in this room that's just like, I, I need a power outside of me. I need Jesus. Lord, we acknowledge, every one of us, that without you, we're lost. Without you, we don't have the ability to defeat sin. But with you, Lord, we are more than conquerors through you who loves us. And Lord, I pray that be our heart this morning. So, Lord, as we worship, Lord, I pray that you would bring to our attention things in our life that you're asking us as your children to remove, to eradicate, to pulverize. Lord, help cleanse our temple this morning. Help us acknowledge that you are good enough for us. Lord, you are worthy for us to surrender to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.